I was so afraid of like what happens when I open the box and then everything comes out, I'm going to fall apart. And it's like, yeah, and then what? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Tales from the Journey podcast. I'm Stephanie Zamora. And today we are here with Michelle Einhang. And she is a life coach who has really built up her career and her purpose work after this, the loss of her husband when she was younger. And suicide loss is something that's very near and dear to my heart. It's part of my story and journey as well. So I'm, I'm so honored and excited to have you here with us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here too. Yeah, I would love if you could start by sharing just a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do. Yeah, sure. So right now I'm working, uh, other than uh, doing a lot of speaking around my story, I also am a certified coach and I specialize in helping individuals and families living with mental health challenges as well as those moving forward after loss. Yeah, yeah, such important work. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about how you and your family faced that stigma of mental health issues and suicide loss. And, and that's why I think these conversations are so important because mental health is something that we all face and deal with. I would love to go back and start. So you lost your husband when you were 34. Yeah. But tell us a little bit about who you were and what your life was like before that. Well, my husband and I knew each other growing up. We, we first met when we were eight. And so, yeah, and kind of kept in touch over the years, started dating when we were 18, got married at 22, you know, the high school sweethearts, young and innocent. I, I grew up in um, what I could say in nice terms was a very constrictive home, a lot of rules, a lot of control, a lot of shaming. So that was the space that I was in. I, I was quite shame driven myself. And then as, as we'll talk more about the story, but when we talk about mental health and, stig and suicide and stigma and all that, it was like, I was already living in that space anyways. So that, that definitely formed a part of, of my story. And we had two kids and it all, it all seemed okay until, until it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and paint us a little more of a picture. I mean, from your perspective, before your loss, if you're able to access that, I know sometimes it's hard to access the before, but what did everything seem okay on the surface? Did he seem happy? Were you guys happy? What was life like? Yeah, we were happy. He was my best friend, but I wasn't particularly healthy because I was talking about the shame. Right. He had his own stuff. It's interesting because we the community we grew up in, nobody talked about mental health. And it was also like, we were both born in the early 70s. So like that wasn't on people's radar at the time either. And so there were definitely signs like I had my stuff, he was adopted and he was adopted when he was almost a year old, was in a foster wow. home before that. So there were some things biologically on, on his side that didn't set him up for the greatest success, although he was adopted into a wonderful family who did their best. But when the signs of his mental illness started showing up, we didn't know that, oh, that might have been a sign. Like, I remember him sharing with me once about, you know, that he remembered being six years old and walking around the playground thinking life was hard. And 
like clearly that's a sign of depression. Six-year-old kids generally don't think that. But if you don't know what depression is, you're not like, oh, how are you doing now? So it's only, of course, looking back that it's like, oh yeah, there were signs there. So he, he eventually was, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and, and a type of schizophrenia. I think it's schizoaffective disorder. But even like the signs that were kind of there that started showing up were after my first son was born. But again, it was like bizarre, unusual things that happened. And it was like, what's that all about? And he was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. And just kind of got defensive. I'm like, what's that? But they were so few and far between that it wasn't like we were able to paint a picture until way later. Then it was like, oh, okay, that explains it. Now I, I can see it. But again, it was really from the time that we got the diagnosis till we lost him was only about two and a half years. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it's really like I I was piecing things together for a long time after his death of like, oh, okay, that explains this and that explains that and having to kind of put it all together for myself. Yeah, definitely. Oh gosh. It's such a hard thing to experience. So you were 34 years old and how old were your kids? Seven and four. Yeah. I would love if you could share as much or as little as you want about the loss and that experience and Mm. what it kind of did to you and your life in that moment. Yeah, sure. So from the time he got diagnosed, like I mentioned, it was, it was pretty short. He declined very quickly. He was under medical care. They were trying the different medications, but generally there's a cocktail and it has to be the right mix and the right doses. And they hadn't quite figured it out. And, and unfortunately, he, he lost hope. But he never talked about wanting to die. Like they say, there are certain signs to look out for. He, he hid it all. Like he was not working. Like he, he was sick enough that often he was in bed for days at a time. So the depression was very evident, but he did a good job of covering up what was happening when he was manic. Like he just wouldn't be home. And so with my kids, it was just, oh, daddy's working so hard. So he's not home. And then he'd come when he'd be home, it was like, oh, daddy's so tired from working so hard. So now he's just, he sleeps a lot. Kids sense things, but again, they didn't know what they were sensing, but we were trying to cover everything up. We didn't tell people that he wasn't working. So it was a lot of hiding a lot of things. So it came as a complete shock when when he passed away and he had called me just before he died he he had gone actually to new york we live in canada and he he went to new york to complete uh the suicide and called me and just said my I'm, my brain's getting bad it's bad it's not getting any better and i have to go away and and me and my brilliance was like well you know your brain's going to follow you wherever you go not even cluing into what he was saying he was like no i'm going away and he's like i left messages for you and my parents and the kids at home and that's when it clicked in and then he hung up on me and mm-hmm. so i called the police somehow they were able to track the cell phones and found him quite quickly but sadly it was already too late at that point and I had to unfortunately go in and tell his parents. And um, as we, we were at their place and calling the immediate family, the closest friends, and telling them what happened, 
And as everybody was, was gathering, somebody turned to me and was like, what are we going to tell people? Mm-hmm. And we, we came from this community, like I mentioned, that just didn't talk about it. it was, there were a low, so many cover-ups and of course me in my shameful place of just like, oh yeah, what are we going to tell people? I don't want people knowing. They, first of all, they don't know about that he had the mental illness and that he wasn't working. Maybe there's something that I didn't do. Did I love mm-hmm. him enough? Did I manage his, his medication right? Did I somehow screw up? Yeah, let's, yeah, better to cover it up. A lot of guilt comes up. Yeah, so, so they suggested, why don't we say it was an accident? It was like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And so we just went forward with, with that story. Yeah. I can only imagine. What was that experience like for you, both before he passed and after, of having this very challenging and difficult experience and not being able to talk about it or share it with people. Yeah, it, it, it was really, I mean, to say it was hard is, is an understatement. From the beginning, I wasn't able to grieve the way that I needed to grieve. Grieving the suicide yeah. looks very different than grieving an accident. You know, there, there are a lot of other emotions. And there were things like in, in the couple of weeks after he passed away, I was getting calls from creditors because he had spent a lot of money and opened up credit cards and I'm like dealing with these things and feeling a lot of anger around like I felt abandoned and it was like okay you're gone and now I have to raise our kids alone I have to somehow explain it to them at some point because I I told them also it was an accident because I was like if I can't wrap my head around this how can I expect these tiny people to understand. And I didn't want them bearing the guilt and thinking because kids do that. They internalize yeah. and think like, oh, maybe, maybe I could have done something different and he'd be here. And so I, I internalized all of it, just had that much more shame. It, it impacted my mental health. When we shove all the emotions down, it, it creates depression. And I, I already had depression undiagnosed then but it just made it that much worse. I was so much more isolated because I couldn't talk about it. And I didn't want people knowing what I had been through. Like the, the side of, of mania is not, not pretty. And yeah, I I didn't want to go there because it was like that, that wasn't him. Like I, I see like there was the, the man that I married and then there was the man who we lost, but they were not the same person. And, and I didn't want to share what my experiences were. So it was very much hiding it all and just always being anxious that somebody might find out the truth. Yeah. Oh, my heart breaks for you and your kids. I know in my suicide loss, the anger was the thing that surprised me most. And I had done enough personal growth work and I knew enough about like the stages of grief to know that it was supposed to be there, but it was so fierce and it was so hard to allow it because it felt wrong. Like he was in enough pain that he chose to leave and here I am pissed off at him for doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and ultimately for me, the anger was at the core, the unexpressed anger, the things I didn't feel like I could say was, were at the core of my PTSD, which was bad for the first year and, and took a while to come back from. But were there, what ways did your repressed emotions start showing up for you? For me, my, my depression shows up in, in, in the sense that it, 
rather than going into the dark places, I literally shut down. I'm, I'm generally a very, I'm quite empathic. I'm very feeling, I'm very emotions-based and I don't feel anything. So that's really what happened. Like I just, I stopped myself from feeling, but halting the, the healing process and feeling it out and grieving, it just, it ended up leaking out sideways everywhere and at the yeah. most inappropriate times. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, it, for me, it was just, I, I turned it off and I just told myself just one foot in front of the other, life goes on, you need to show up for these kids. I didn't let myself, like I remember thinking even at times where I had friends that were like, you need to work through this. Like even though I had done done some therapy and my therapist knew, I was so unhealthy. And, they, and I was just like, listen, I'm supporting these kids and I have to show up for them every day. I can't afford yeah. to start like letting, letting my guard. I was so afraid of like what happens when I open the box and then everything yes. comes out, I'm going to fall apart. And it's like, yeah. And then what, like, are you going to support me when I can't work? <laughs> So I really just, I, I shoved it all down. I just, I just took everything in my life of just like, you know, just be grateful for what you have and just not real gratitude. It's telling yourself to do that. And so I settled for a lot and I lived a life that was really not, not for me. I had careers that were not where I was supposed to be. But again, it was like, well, your job is secure. You're a single mom. Be happy you're here. And who are you to dream? And relationships, being as unhealthy as I was, I was not attracting healthy people. So it was just one person after the next. It was like, same story, different guy, (laughs) essentially. So it was just a very toxic way of living. Yeah. What was the turning point for you? Was there a moment? I know sometimes we have more than one kind of rock bottom moment, turning point moment, but what was yours and was there more than one? Yeah. I love that. Cause I always say like, I didn't hit the rock bottom. It's like I hit it and then I bounced yeah. and bounced and bounced <laughs> and bounced. <laughs> so yeah, there were a bunch of them, but the real catalyst for me was it was around my 45th birthday and we all kind of go through that, uh, they call it a midlife crisis, awakening, whatever you want to call it. But it was around that time I was in a very, very unhealthy relationship. Also working in a job where I, I just was not happy. I was working in finance, punching numbers behind a computer all day feeling pressured that like when I leave at five, because I have to go home and feed my kids because there's nobody else, like everyone's looking at you like, well, we all stay till six or seven or eight or whatever we're doing. It's like, yeah, I can't. But it was just all of it was so out of alignment with who I was. And, And this relationship in particular, something had happened and it kind of woke me up to, oh my gosh, like, this, this is so unhealthy. I've been in this situation before. And it actually like this, this particular relationship was very much like my, my childhood environment. Uh Um, So yeah, it's really unhealthy uh, manipulation, gaslighting, a lot of blaming and shaming me of just, well, you came from a messed up family and this is what happened to you. So everything in our relationship is your fault. 
And it was like, when I kept saying, no, it takes two to tango. Like I can't do right. it on my own, but it's like, <laughs> no, 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 it's you. I'm just reacting. And so, yeah, it was just one, one more argument like that, that was particularly bad. And I just, you know, had this moment of like, oh my God, I am the common denominator in everything that's wrong in my life. Mm. And, you know, that, that aha moment was like totally devastating. And at the same time, completely liberating because I knew yes. like, okay, if it's me, I can change me. <laughs> oh, I got goosebumps when you said that it is like this devastating is the perfect. It's you're like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, yeah. So what did you do with that information? Oh, well, yeah, at that point, having that realization, and, and again, like it was partly because of my 45th birthday of just like, okay, my first 45 years have been so painful. I can't live the next half of my life like this. And when I realized like, okay, it's in me to change and, and all of these variables will change. It was like, okay, I need to do yet another deep dive into therapy. But this time it was like, no, I'm going deeper than I ever did before. It was like, I've got to work through my childhood stuff. I have to work through my shame because I knew that healing that was going to help me heal the shame around my husband's death and the suicide and the stigma and all of that. So did a really deep dive, very intense work, working through my own PTSD, through EMDR, which you are probably familiar with. It's trauma, trauma therapy. So I was doing, you know, the inner child work as talk therapy, then later in the week doing EMDR. And then I also was doing somatic work, uh, a form called yeah. Wolf Rolfing releasing trauma from your fascia. So these three practitioners I would see every week and things that would come up with one I'd take to the next and the next. And <laughs> I tell people like, I don't recommend that for everyone, but I was just like, full I'm, court I'm press. done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I am done and I'm not living this way anymore. And around the same time, a close friend of mine had also, like, she had become a coach. And it's funny because I didn't know what coaching was at the time. Yeah. She kind of say, Oh, you're, you're going to love it. It's totally for you. And I was like, what is it? She's just like, try the course. It's like a weekend. You'll learn some great tools that you can use anywhere, but I think you're going to love. And I was like, fine, just, just just to get you off my back, I'll take this course. <laughs> and I went in that weekend. Of course, like I, I was a deer caught in headlights of like, oh my God, there are people here that are healthy, that are taught using all these amazing words like vault, like you can, you know, your feelings are welcome. And what's the true you? And it's like, what? <laughs> so once the shock wore off, then the tears started flowing. And, and that was so healing for me to find this new community of people that were so accepting of like, oh, you went through, we all went through crap in our lives, <laughs> like, you know, different extents. And that makes us beautiful. And that's part of who we are. And it was like, whoa, <laughs> like, yeah. I've only been judged. I only know judgment <laughs> around that. So while doing the healing work and at the same time, moving forward through my coaches training, meeting more and more people who thought the same way that I was now like, yay, I'm free to feel this way and think this way. Like I'm not wrong for it. Yeah. Um, really, really helped me, help me with my healing. Yeah. Wow. I would love if you could share a little bit more about whatever comes up for you with this question. But I, when we tell these stories, I feel like it's very easy and it's not intentional, but it's very easy for us to kind of gloss through the work like 
you were going to different practitioners and stuff was coming up, but it's like, I would love if you could share more of what that experience was like, because it can be incredibly difficult. And I I feel like when we don't understand that it's supposed to be, we start to think, well, something's wrong with me because I can't just like go to therapy and get better. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like to really start unpacking all of that stuff? It was, it was hard. I, I won't lie. It was, it was hard. And it was also not as hard as living the toxic life I was living. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was a different kind of hard, but this was something like, okay, I'm, I'm going to heal from this. But I do remember at one point saying to my therapist, will I ever stop crying? Because <laughs> I felt like I, I will never. So she was like, no, 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 you will. One day you won't be crying the same way. So there, you know, there was a lot of releasing for me. I, I remember when I decided to go back and do this deep dive, I told my kids like, listen, there's stuff I need to work through from like my, and they, they knew, like I've been estranged from my family for 25 years now. So they, they knew there's a lot of unhealthy stuff that I grew up with. And I said, I need to grieve my, the childhood I didn't have. I need to grieve the estrangement. I need to grieve losing your dad. There's a lot that I'd never processed. And it's going to look tough and you're going to see me crying a lot. I'm okay, but this is how it's going to be. And, and it was honestly eight months of me crying all yeah. day, every day. And I, I went to work and it was just like, okay, finish crying in the car, <laughs> yeah. go to work, sit at my desk, like, oh, I'm feeling the tears rising, running to the bathroom, bawling my eyes out, touching yes. up my makeup going back in and and keep going (laughs) until the next burst. And then, you know, I go home and it was like collapse in bed, guys order pizza. My, my older son at that point had just gotten his driver's license. I was like, go get hamburgers, pizza, whatever you want. I can't cook. And it was really eight months of just unpacking and crying and, you know, it's, there's still like, I'm still working through so much. Like the more I heal and the more I show up in the work that I'm doing, things still shift. Like once I was able to move out of the anger or a great deal, I can't say a hundred percent, but even if it was 75%, then it was now, now I'm grieving from the place of like losing my best friend. And so then there was a whole new way of crying. Yeah. So, so yeah, so it, it was, it was not pretty, but at all. No. Uh, you know, I should have bought stocks in uh, Kleenex. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I laugh about it now, but no, it was, it was difficult, but it was also the greatest gift I ever gave myself. Yeah. I laugh about it too, because when I move big stuff, I'm just weepy weepy for days and weeks yeah. on end. Like it, and it's, I tell my clients this all the time. Like it's, it's okay. You don't even have to know where it's coming from specifically. Like yeah. it's just old stuff moving and that's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of my therapists had, had used the metaphor. It's like a, a pot of boiling water. It's like it, it, the steam comes up and it rises and then you kind of blow it away, but then new stuff comes up and you blow, and that's really what, <laughs> that's what the healing is like. It's just, you keep moving that away and it's like, Oh, look, there's a bit more <laughs> you know? and, yeah. and something new. And because I was also grieving for my children and, you know, so I, I felt like I, I was really grieving for three of just, uh-huh. they didn't get to experience with him. 
they didn't know, like when they lost him, like being seven and four, my seven-year-old, his first thing was like, can you get us a new dad? He didn't even know what to feel. Yeah. And he just like, he shed one tear and we were at my brother's place and um, he was just like, can I go play with my cousins again? I was like, no, <laughs> like, yeah. he didn't know what to do with it. And then my younger one was four. And at four, you don't have a concept of death. So he didn't understand. He was relating it to like seeing Scooby-Doo and like the mummies that are all wrapped in toilet paper and walking around the streets like that. And he's like, oh, is daddy a mummy? You know, and and it was like, no. And it was only a year after, like after enough time had passed. One day he just said to me like, daddy's not coming back, is he? And that's where it kind of sank. And it was like, no, he's not. But all of the school performances, all of the birthday parties, the graduations, they're both in university now, but all of those, it's like feeling like, oh, he missed it and I'm going to tear up because I don't think I will ever get over that. It's every, every important moment. I feel the loss again. I think we all go yep. through that of just like, we can say, oh, they're here in spirit, but it, it's not the same. Yeah, you're so right. What was it like for you? I, I, what I think is incredible about your story and your journey, and I think is so helpful to other people is what was it like to finally start telling the truth about his death and the loss? I know there's a lot of different things we go through, whether it's a suicide loss or trauma or abuse that we're not able to even make sense of it for ourselves, let alone make words about it to other people. And I know for me, when it came to like sexual trauma, being able to finally start talking about it years later was so scary because it was never part of what I had shared with anyone before. And so, yeah, what was that like for you? Yeah. Um, So I will preface this by saying I had tons of support in, in getting ready to, to talk about it. The for me, the first step was telling my kids and I always knew at some point I'm going to tell them, but I always thought, okay, I'll wait till their parents and then they'll understand why I made this choice and it'll be okay. And then it just, it, it got to a point where it was quite apparent that it, w- it was time and it was like, okay, yeah, it's, it's now. And so I had a group of very close dear friends who really helped me, help me, help build me up and help me be very intentional in how I told my kids. That's the nice thing about being a coach. You have so many coach friends. <laughs> it's like everybody's yes. coaching me through like, <laughs> okay, how do you want to show up? What, what are the words you want to use? So I got really, really clear on it, but it was still terrifying because while I was clear on how I was showing up, I had no clue how they were going to react. Yeah. And so I was terrified because I knew there was a good chance they might be really angry at me. They may never want to talk to me. And I had a few friends who knew the truth all along and being well-wishers and trying to be helpful. They were like, well, you should tell your kids because I heard of this person. I met this person who found out something later on in life and they felt like their whole life was a lie or this one didn't see. And I was like, Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> That's great. What do I do with that? So yeah, so I had all of that in the back of my mind and and was really terrified. But the truth is, like I, I got to the point where I just called them up for dinner one day. And it's funny because like I even had picked like, okay, it was 
going to be this day. Yeah. And I decided like two months earlier, I was gearing myself up. And then a few days before I messaged my, this group of friends that were, were helping with it, I was like, you know what? I'm doing it today. I can't wait. <laughs> and so, yeah, I called them up for dinner. I sat them down at the table and just said, before we eat, I need to tell you something. And I just said, like, I wish I had done it differently, but we didn't. And this is, this is the truth about how your dad died. And all of my fears were completely wrong. I I always say like fear is a liar. (laughs) It can take you to the worst places, but I, I could not have asked for a better outcome and a better experience. We sat around the table. They were each hold like, you know, these are two teenage boys and they're both holding my hand and mm. it was beautiful. They both said they had a feeling that he didn't die in an accident, but they didn't think it was suicide. But my younger one said he, he realized that he didn't know any details about it. My older one said he had a sense, but never really wanted to ask. And so I just said, look, I don't like no more lies, no more secrets from this point on. Ask me anything you want to know. And they needed time to process it. Like my older son didn't want to know how it happened. My younger one did. And my older one was like, that's fine. You can tell him I'm going to leave the room. And, and I just said, okay, we're going to be completely open from this point. And then after my older one processed it a bit more, then he was like, okay, now you can tell me more. Yeah. And so it was really just allowing for, for their letting, and, and that was the thing I had set, set the intention that this is about them. It's not about me. I'm not looking for pity. It wasn't about like, oh, poor me. Like this is, I didn't know, but you know, I was like, no, this is about you. Like, I wish I had done it differently and I'm owning that. And so it went well. And, and then I realized after, like at this point I had already started coaching and and it was funny because I was kind of like, you know, I want to empower women and I want people to live in their truth. And, you know, even though I wasn't, and I was kind of dancing around what it was and then came to the realization that, you know what, this is how I need to help people because I have this story and I've been through this for people who are going through their own mental health challenges, who maybe are feeling shame around it, or if it's a suicide, whatever it is, I know I've lived it. And I can, I can serve from this place because like so many of us feel like we need to be healed before we can, we can serve. And the truth is, as long as you're one step ahead of anybody else, you you can give guidance and, and we can all hold space and, and just be there and show up for people. And so at this point, I, just, I said to my kids, because like now we're a team and it's like, okay, this is what I think I need to do in the world. And they were like, go for it, mom. And yeah. so I realized the best way and the easiest way to now get the word out to everybody that he and I, my husband and I had grown up with all the way to today to let everyone know at the same time as well, post it on Facebook. And so I did. Um, <laughs> and it, it took me, it took me about three weeks to compose the, yeah. the post. And my older son, who's a great writer, did some editing on it. And my kids were like, you got this mom post. And I'm like, not yet. I'm not ready. I need more time. They're like, just do it. Just hit the button. <laughs> Yeah. So they were great. And and again, like the fear was there of like, oh my God, people are going to judge me. They're going to call me a liar. They're going to say all these things about me. And again, not true. I posted it and 
I, I posted it first thing in the morning and I literally spent the day crying because I just was bombarded by so many messages and calls and posts just like supporting me and loving on me that I just, I sat, so I was like, oh my God, I didn't know this love was possible because I was, I was so harshly judging myself and it was like, yeah, no people, people get it. And I thought like, oh, I'll hear something from not one peep from anybody about anything negative. Everyone was so amazing and supportive and so it was like, all right, well, throw that old story out the window. <laughs> and, yeah. And I never looked back. And, and by at this point, I mean, well, already a number of months before that, I had left the job that I wasn't happy in. Uh, the boyfriend was gone <laughs> way earlier. And it was like, okay, now, now I'm living the life that I was supposed to be living and feeling, the, feeling so fulfilled. Just knowing that this is the work that I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. I experienced, I had a lot of fear. I published my memoir at the beginning of 2020. And there was some things that I was like, people are going to judge me for what I thought or what I said or the ways that I handled things. And the truth is, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I would love to hear your perspective. I couldn't have done it any other way. Like I could only do what I could do in those moments with where I was at and what I was feeling and what I was dealing with. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. That's like, we, we only have the certain tools and it's, it's, it's interesting. You, you mentioned that because in that post where I talked about like, this is what happened and this is what I want to do. I quoted uh, Maya Angelou. She says, do the best you can until you know better. And when you know better, do better. And that's how I live my life of just like, we're human. It's so messy. <laughs> and, you know, and, and we set, spend so much, well, not everyone, but many of us spend a lot of time fighting that and trying to be perfect. And it's like, yeah. you're never get there. There is no such thing as perfect. Nobody in the history of humankind has done it perfectly. And so just drop that expectation completely. Just let it be messy and, and forgive yourself. And that's forever a work in progress. But I know for me, that was, that was the most healing thing for me of, of going from this place of self-loathing, first into self-neutrality, because I say like, when, when you don't know what love even yeah. looks like, you can't go to self-love. It's like when they say, like, look in the mirror and say, I love you. It's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and I couldn't, and it felt so fake. And it was just really going just to neutral where I was noticing my own self-talk and what was I was saying to myself. And it was like, okay, just when I notice that I'm just completely abusing myself, just stop it right there and say like, no, I don't have to be like this. And, and then gradually I started catching it more and more. And then it started happening less and less. And then when, when it was happening less and less, it was like, wow, look at me. And now I say I'm the queen of self-care because it's yeah. really, you know, it's been so much about that. I mean, there's, we all have that, that inner critic that's going to show up and I've just started writing my memoir as well. And so that inner critic is like, ah! oh, yeah. <laughs> you can't say that. And it's like, well, I'm gonna. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's really knowing though, that when I'm showing up, when I'm speaking, and I, I'm sure you, you feel the same way with your memoir. It's like, people need to hear this. There are people who yeah. are still where we were back then that really need to know it's possible 
to, to heal and it's possible to be free of all the shame and, and the crap and you can live a happy wow. life. And that it's supposed to be hard and messy. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm so excited for your memoir. Thank you. I want to talk more about your work, but first I would love to know what, what your relationship is and was to things like trust and faith, whether it's religious or spiritual or otherwise, what did those things mean to you as you were going through all this and what do they mean to you now? So that's a great question. I grew up in a very religious family, but it was more the God that slays and is unforgiving. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> so I I had a lot of judgment around that and a lot of very strong feelings. I felt a lot of unfairness. I was very, very angry at God of just like, it's one thing if this is punishing me, but how could you do this to my children? They were innocent. They're babies. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, I, I was listening to spiritual leaders, going to classes, reading books. And I remember at one point, there's a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And I remember reading it and, and I got to the part where he was just saying, like, a lot of this is just random. Like, statistically, X number of people are going to die of this way. And I was just like, no, I don't accept. And I literally just, you know, part of the anger coming out, I went yep. against the wall and I was like, I'm not reading this book. This is crap. <laughs> so I had a lot of struggles with that. And I realized too, that a lot of the way that I was brought up was to look outside of yourself for the answers. And so I didn't trust my intuition. I was, I had, you know, was a victim of gaslighting growing up. So it was just like, no, what you think is wrong. Like that didn't happen. And you can't trust your instinct. And I no, feel it. I'm yeah. like, no, I know, I know this is the truth. And it was like, no, 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 it's not. So I didn't, I didn't. And then it was like, oh, but, but God knows. So everything was outside of me. So my particular journey in healing was learning to trust myself and realizing that the experiences I had in childhood actually gifted me with a higher sense of intuition than many other people have because I grew up in a home that didn't feel safe. And so I was always on hyper alert of like, okay, how are my parents doing? Are they upset? Are they, you know, just that hyper vigilance. And so I realized like, oh, my intuition is so fine tuned because I've been practicing this. And so it just became really about listening to myself. And my my relationship with God is still interesting. I grew up with, with religious practices. I taught them to my children. I I like some of the the traditional aspects of things, but really for me, I'm I'm now at a place where I'm looking to like, okay, what feels right for me? Mm-hmm. And and trusting and for me it's not so much about the God that I grew up with. I, I could just say the universe, that it's trusting that okay, yes, there is a higher power and sometimes I need to just I need to lean back and just surrender and let things happen and letting go of that that need to hold tight and try and control because yeah, we can't. <laughs> it just yeah. it makes it, we make our lives so much harder when we try to do that. <laughs> So, so yeah, so it's shifted. So yes, there is a faith, but it's just, I don't even have a name for it. Yeah, I love that. I really relate to that as well. 
So you've shared like little bits of your journey to coming into your purpose work and what you're doing now, but what did it look like? And what was the process for you, you to really step into it? I talked about the healing and it was again, it was lots of surrender. And for me, it was about just showing up every day, knowing that if if I'm doing a post, if it's a video, if it's a podcast, I, I trust that there's somebody out there who needs to hear whatever I'm saying. And so that's what keeps me going because I mean, I'm still dealing with my mental health challenges. The depression is still there. I have good days. I have bad days. The pandemic has not been fun. <laughs> and, and I have to remind myself that I've made a commitment to doing this work. And, and it's that commitment that really keeps me going every single day and saying, just show up. And I, I'm just looking over at my desk, but I have a, a little sign that says, just show up. And, and that's what I remind myself that it doesn't have to look perfect. I don't have to speak whatever it is. I'm, the message doesn't have to be perfect. As long as I'm showing up, someone is hearing it and it's serve and it's helping somebody and I feel good about it. And then always getting the feedback, doing a podcast interview and having, having somebody say, oh my gosh, what you were talking about touched me so deeply. It's like, yeah. I cry every single time I, I get a message like that. It's just so, you know, and then it's like, that motivates me to keep going because I know, I know what I needed back then. And, and I needed to know that uh, that there is hope and that I was going to be okay and that there are people out there, even if I didn't know who they were yet. But I knew that if I just keep looking like there are people and I can reach out to them and there's so many people that want to help. And so yeah. it's just, it's, it's just finding them and connecting. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, did you start getting, where did you start getting clients? How did you start doing actual coaching work? Yeah. So that Facebook post where I posted my vulnerability got me a couple of clients right off the bat. Awesome. <laughs> it was pretty wild. And most of the work that I did was really through, through Facebook um, and Instagram of just showing up and talking about my experiences. Yeah. I did for a period of time. And I was, I was working with a business coach. Well, I've worked with a few different business coaches. And so one, one coach challenged me do do a once a week, a Facebook video. And it was like, Oh my God, I can't do that. <laughs> like, like I can write something. I can post a meme. But yeah. I can't. And he was like, no, 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 do it. And he's like, knowing the recovering perfectionist in me, he's like, you can't do a million takes either. And I was like, oh, yeah. you're killing me here. <laughs> but, but it was great. So I started doing, it was funny. I started doing Monday morning mental health moments with Michelle. And the funny thing was that I decided, okay, I'm going to do it on this Monday morning. And then I totally chickened out, <laughs> didn't do it. And then I had to go back to my coach that week and say like, okay, I have no excuse at yeah. all, but I didn't do it. And then the next week, the Monday came and I didn't do it again. I'm like, oh my God, I can't go back to him again and tell him I didn't do it. So I was like, okay, you know what? Like Tuesday came and, and it was lunchtime and I was like, I'm doing, I'm just doing it now. And I put it out there and I was like, you know what? And I totally winged it. I was like, let's talk about perfectionism. Like, 
It's exhausting. It's so hard. This was supposed to be Monday morning. It's Tuesday <laughs> afternoon. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm not doing that. Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. And then it actually became a thing where I, it would just happen on random days of the week. And I kept it as Monday morning mental health moments. And people thought it was hilarious. They were just like, well, you know, it's Thursday night or yeah. it's Wednesday morning, but I'm still calling it that. And there were a few people that like would comment on my posts and be like, maybe you should change the name. And I'm like, why? I like the way it sounds. Like, why are you being such a stickler about it? Like, have some fun. And so that, that gave me, it, it took a lot of courage to do, but each step of showing up a little bit more just kept it going and, and people would share things. And, and that's really how I've been building the business. Like I've been very fortunate that I've done very little paid advertising and the people find me, but it's, it's, again, it's just, it's, I keep showing up. And I think that because I am so vulnerable about my experience, people hear me, they witness me and they're just like, okay, she's not going to judge me. And I've, I've been told that many times that, you know, they're like, I feel like I could tell you anything and, and you're going to accept. And I'm like, like, you know, I'm owning all my craft. So yeah, bring yeah. it on. Like, it's not going to surprise me. And no, like, this is <laughs> like, this is part of being human. Like we, we can't, we can't judge others. We can't judge ourselves. Like this is, this is the experience guys. <laughs> yeah. It's- Behind every person doing Facebook lives is that exact story of like weeks of resistance. So Oh, yeah. That cracks me up because um, yeah. I do the same thing. I even put it on my calendar, and I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you got to have the whole like inner coaching and the conversations yeah. with yourself, and you can do it. You've got this. And then it's like, and then you do, and you're like, I don't like how that looked. And it's like, right. do not delete. Do not yeah. delete. Just post it. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. <laughs> and then people love it, and you're like, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. One thing I love about your message and your mission and the things that you've shared, and it's so funny, we, we have all these intake questions because we're, we're really trying to get a particular type of story and they're all very different stories, but we want people, like it says on the application, that are not in the middle of it. And so I've, been, I've had to rephrase the question a few times where we try to get at like, do you feel like you're through it, even though we know you're still growing and healing? And so what I love is that you really own that aspect that you're still working on your mental health. Like, yes, you're through the deep, dark, hard parts. And yet, as all of us know, the healing and the growth work is never done. Oh, no. (laughs) And it, it, it just like creeps up out of nowhere sometimes. And especially as we push our edges and we do new things, even like starting a business and doing a Facebook Live, like all of our trauma stuff will come up. All of our like edges need to be pushed. And so what are some things that you still do to really work on and support your own mental health? Yeah, it's a great question. And yeah, I'm re-experiencing it in a new way, working on my memoir. Like a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I had just converted my wedding video onto like to digital. Mm. And so my best friend came over and we watched it together and oh my God, it was like super triggering. And, you know, just first of all, so, you know, to answer your question, support, 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 support. We are not meant to do this alone. Please don't think that you can do this alone. So really having a, a support network 
And, and I often say to people, if the people around you are in the same space that you were in when you were not healthy, find new people. And we are so blessed to live in an age, like as much as we complain about social media, it is such a gift in the sense that there are so many groups out there. And in the pandemic too, like everybody's moved to, to virtual. Yeah. So you can find any kind of group you need anywhere in the world at any time of day. And it's, we have access to it because yeah, when my husband passed away, Facebook hadn't come out yet. Like it was like literally yeah. just a few months later. So I didn't know where to look, but now I'm, I'm part of a lot of different healing groups and mental health groups. And just like a lot of them I'm on, I'm, I just stalk. <laughs> I'm just like reading people's posts, but it amazes me how somebody will post something vulnerable and just say like, I'm going through a hard time and complete strangers who are in that group. Like you will get like 25, 30 people at least commenting, saying, I'm here for you. Please private message me. Like, don't feel, I'm here to talk to you. and so. Finally, because the truth is, it's through these people that we make these connections. I mean, I, I've done a number of podcasts and I've met phenomenal people that it's just like, okay, I'm, I'm adding you to my group. <laughs> like, you know, you're one of mine now. And they're like, happily. And, and just knowing that like, just to so make sure that to build that, that support. So that, that was the key for me. Um, forgiveness and giving myself the space and the time. So talking about my wedding video where I shut down, I did go, you know, into some depression because I wasn't feeling, and that was my sign. It's like, I'm not crying and I know I should be crying. And my, my friend was like, Oh, go, go watch this episode of this show. It's going to have you crying. And I watch and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm feeling nothing. And then telling her, okay, I'm not feeling anything. And just giving myself the space of like, okay, I'm going to clear my calendar and just let myself be with whatever I'm with. And so that kind of space, mindfulness has been the greatest gift for me. Just having that, that pause of just checking in with myself of like, oh, what am I feeling? What am I noticing? Where's the tightness? Not even, it doesn't even have to be, I do meditate, but my mindful practices go so much more beyond the meditation. And I teach people like, you don't have to sit and be like, oh, to get anywhere. Just taking a break and noticing how you're breathing or even just slowing your own breathing down is going to do wonders. Checking in with myself of just, oh, I noticed that I'm having some butterflies and getting curious and saying, okay, what's that about? And, And actually inquiring rather than moving through it or ignoring it, but just overall slowing down. Because I know like many of us who've experienced trauma, but what we do is we just, we keep moving. We're we're that, you know, it's like, okay, if I keep moving, then then they can't catch me. (laughs) The trauma won't catch up. And, and, and we we're scared of slowing down because then we're like, oh no, then I'm going to be bombarded by the feelings and the emotions. But the truth is the, the, the emotions, the thoughts, they're there anyways. And you're not going to notice anything new. Like, so yes, you're going to face the thought that you have all day, every day that's telling you whatever it is. But the truth is slowing down and just saying, okay, you're here. Cool. Thanks for being here. Then suddenly it's like, oh, look, I haven't thought about that for a while. So that, that was, was a huge gift. And yeah, always, if it's therapy for whatever I need to work through coaching, you know, again, goes back to support, but different kinds of support. Yeah, absolutely. 
So important. One of the, the final questions I usually ask is around what is something that you wish you knew when you were younger, but I kind of want to cater this more specifically to something that's come up repeatedly throughout your story is what do you wish that you had known about shame? Oh, that's a great question. I wish I knew that it wasn't true. That, that all of these stories that I had been told were told to me by unhealthy people and that that wasn't mine to carry. I, I use the, the metaphor often. I say like I had this backpack of shame that I was carrying and it was like, oh, here, give it to me. I'll toss it back there. Oh, you have your own shame? I'll take that. Too. I'll carry it for you also. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm carrying enough too. Yeah. It's like that backpack, you can put it down at any time. And so, and, and that's the greatest gift of knowing, like, I don't need to believe the thoughts. I can move them away. And it's about just testing it, testing it in little baby steps of like, okay, I think I'm going to be like, yeah, I did these big, huge, like, I'm going to post this on Facebook, my most vulnerable (laughs) story. And let's test that. But we can test our shame in so many tiny ways in our lives and throughout our days. And so I think that's, that's what I wish I had known that I could challenge it yeah, and that challenging it would actually show me the truth. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's quotable for sure. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. We're going to put links to all of your amazingness in the show notes, but please tell people where they can find you, how they can learn from you and how they can work with you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so I'm, I'm all over social media. I have a website, michelleanhangcoaching.com and I use the same handle on every form of social media. So I'm easy to find and please reach out if there's any way I can support you. Awesome. Thank you again for your time and for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv slash free, including access to my signature process for how to make the impossible happen, packaged in a simple, easy to follow workbook that you can implement immediately. Whether you're trying to heal in the aftermath of a challenging chapter, working to uncover your purpose, or going after anything else that feels impossible, you'll learn how to take an entirely different kind of action that goes against much of what you've been taught about manifestation and goal achievement. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community. So please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.